psalm of praise uh, directed towards the King of Glory, the Lord Almighty, the one who has created everything. It's a psalm which calls us, uh, as God's people, uh, to worship the Lord, as we can worship the Lord because, firstly, he owns everything. He owns everything. And we see that in the opening two verses, don't we? As the psalmist David says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The Lord is the creator of everything and everyone. He is the one who has made the cattle in the fields, the birds in the air, the stars in the sky, the grass as we walk around in the parks, the beautiful sunset. Everything in creation has been made by him. And he has made us. He has made us in his image as well for relationship with him. He's made every single person in his image for him. And contrary to what many may say today, we're not here by some kind of accident. This isn't some cosmic coincidence. Even scientists like the very popular Brian Fox, when asked about how the universe came into being, he's humble humble enough to say, well, we know some things, but we don't know everything. We don't really know exactly how it happened. And nor really can scientists answer the question of why. Why is there something rather than nothing? Because if we don't believe in God, if we don't think that there is a creator, then it's really impossible to answer that question. Why is there something rather than nothing? Because we see in these really two two verses, two powerful verses, that it is the Lord that has created everything. He didn't need to, but he freely chose to. As a psalmist, David, he echoes the words of Genesis, where the, the spirit of the Lord hovers over the water. But then by the power of the word, he speaks creation into being, bringing order out of chaos, separating the land and the sea. And so as we think of all creation, we should be amazed, amazed at the power of God in creation. As he is the one who has made everything. And not only that, he owns everything and every one. Because if he is the creator, then we are dependent on him for life and breath and everything. We are dependent upon him and we're also accountable to him. Because this is God's world and it's not ours. We're called to be stewards of it, but ultimately it doesn't really belong to us. And even our bodies, our bodies are not our own. They belong to the Lord as well. Which means when it comes to creation, we don't worship creation as some environmentalists do, causing mayhem all over the country. But rather we seek ways to care for it, to tend it, to steward it, as God has given it to us as a gift. And nor do we choose what to do with our bodies, because God has created everything and everyone, making us in his image, both male and female. We are dependent on him as the creator and accountable to him. Because he owns everything. And we belong to him. 
But this God of all things, he's, he's not an abstract force or a distant being not involved in our lives, but rather he is the creator and he has revealed himself to us personally through the Lord Jesus. As we see that, we see the power of God who, who owns everything and yet comes close to us. The majestic God of all things who draws near to us in the Lord Jesus. The Son of God. And we see that as Paul, he writes to uh, the letter uh, to Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, he says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And therefore we can come and praise the Lord through the Lord Jesus, the creator, who has created everything by the power of his word. We can, we can come and, and pray to him and give thanks to him because he is the one who has created everything. And we know him through the Lord Jesus, through all that he has done for us. So let's just spend some, just a few minutes now, just in open prayer, giving thanks to the Lord for his amazing creation and that he has made himself known to us through the Lord Jesus. Let's uh, spend some time in open prayer together. And so we come to the Lord to worship the Lord as he, he owns everything. And we also worship the Lord as he makes a way for us to him. He makes a way for us to him. As we see that when we see who God is, there is an enormous gap between who he is and who we are. And so therefore, we need someone to make a way for us to God. As David asks the question, and he gives us an answer in verses 3 and 4, he asks... Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Who is it that can enter God's holy presence? Who can stand before him in his holy place? The psalmist David, he's speaking in a context where the people came to worship God in the sanctuary as the the mountain of the Lord was a reference to Zion, uh, where God's people uh, worshipped. And where eventually the the temple of the Lord would be built, albeit not during the time of King David. And the access to that was restricted. It was restricted only to those who came to the Lord in the right way. Not in a casual or a blasé way, but aware that they were to enter the presence of the Lord, the creator of all things. And the point of these verses is not a, it's not some kind of proud declaration of of self-righteousness, but rather to display, actually, we all fall far short. But the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, he is pure, holy, just, righteous, perfect in every way. And we are not. As we look at the list of requirements for entry into God's presence, who among us can declare honestly that we have lived up to God's holy standard? Who among us can say that we have clean hands? That is to say that we've never done anything wrong, that we have never sinned. 
either in our many years in life or even this past week or even today. Who among us can say that we have, that we have clean hands and clean hearts, that our hearts are pure, that our minds are, as, as Paul says in Philippians 4, that our minds are always thinking of things which are true, things which are noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Can you come before the Holy Lord, the Holy God, and say that? I know I can't. Or, or who among us have trusted in an idol that is putting anything before or even beside the Lord in terms of worship or adoration? It could be good things. It could be a spouse. It could be a future spouse. It could be friends. It could be family. It could be hobbies. It could be a home, holidays. Good things. Things that we love. But ultimately they push our affections away from our first love. The Lord Jesus. That they draw us in to worship them. Maybe not fully, but perhaps alongside. They draw us away from our first love of Jesus. Because when we're honest, if we examine ourselves in light of the perfect purity, righteousness and holiness of God... We are nothing like that. We are unrighteous. We stand before him rotten. We stand before him stained, sinned, unholy, unclean, and guilty. Guilty before a holy God. And so in that light, it should lead us to be cut to the heart, to confess our sins before him, and to repent of them, to actively put to death the things that displease him to by the power of the spirit put those things to death and walk in newness of life because the original listeners of this psalm they knew they knew exactly what they had to do to restore the relationship with god they knew that to restore the relationship with the lord you had to by sincere heartfelt repentance you had to offer atoning sacrifices to the lord through the high priest And yet wonderfully for us today, we don't have to do that. As those trusting in the Lord Jesus, we have a better high priest who offers a better sacrifice. As it tells us in Hebrews 2, for this reason, he that is Jesus had to be made fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. We in and of ourselves cannot stand before the Lord. We cannot. But through all that the Lord Jesus as our perfect and better high priest, through what he has done for us in offering up himself on the cross, paying for our sins, he has made a way to God for us. We can come before the Lord with clean hands, And a pure heart. As he has made a way and cleansed us. Because he has given us his spirit. That we are pure before the Lord. He has made us holy, spotless and blameless in his sight. And therefore in Christ we now belong to the they of God's people. As the psalmist speaks of in verse 5. As he says, they will receive blessing from the Lord. And vindication from God their saviour. As we come before the Lord, very aware of our sin, 
but far more aware of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus, who has given us clean hands and a pure heart. And so let us just take a few moments, just quietly, silently in our own hearts, to confess to the Lord, just to pour out our heart to him in prayer, and before I lead us in a public confession together, and then Caroline will come and sing. Let's pray together with the words on the screen. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with all our heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Well, we're thankful to, to God through all that the Lord Jesus has, has done for us uh, as we worship the Lord as he owns everything. He has made a way for us to him. Uh, and we worship the Lord as he is uh, the mighty, almighty king of glory. He's the almighty king of glory. In the last part of the psalm, there's a, an interchange between two unidentified people who, who make vivid and poetic calls for the city to rise and celebrate the arrival of the king. As the psalmist tells us in verse 7 and 8, Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. In an exchange between uh, these two people, there's a poetic picture painted of the gates and the doors being lifted up, being lifted up as a symbol of celebration, that the people of God should lift their heads, that the whole place should lift their heads in praise and celebration as the king comes in to the city gates, into the gates of the city of Jerusalem, as the king of glory is the Lord. He's described as the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. As the psalmist associates the Lord with the warfare of the kings of Israel of the time. At that time, uh, the, Israel, the Israelite army, they returned from battlefields, uh, the battles that they faced and fought. And when they defeated the enemies, the enemies of God, then the people, they would be in full praise and adoration, welcoming in the army. As the Lord had given them that victory. The Lord was present with his people, present with his army, as the Ark of the Covenant would go ahead of the people. Affirming the fact that it was the Lord that was leading them, and it was ultimately the Lord that had granted them the victory. And therefore the psalmist echoes this call to to worship the Lord, to celebrate, to praise him. In verse 9 and 10, he says, Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. As you see from verse 7 to 10, that the Lord is described as almighty, as a warrior. As the Lord Almighty, he is a warrior king. And in Christ, 
For us today, that is who he is for us. He fights for us. And all the battles that we may face in our lives, the battles that we may face with temptation, with struggle in that area, maybe with anxiety, perhaps with loneliness in times of doubt, we might battle with feelings of sadness, moments of stress. We may be overwhelmed with things in life. The Lord fights for us because he intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he can do that because he is the king of glory. He has won that victory. He has won that ultimate victory for us over sin, over Satan, and over death. And therefore, like the gates, like the doors of the city, we can lift up our heads in praise. We can do that because of the victory that we share in Christ. As we can say along with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As the Lord Jesus, he is our mighty warrior king. The Lord Almighty, the king of glory, who has won that victory, won the victory over sin, over Satan and over death. And therefore, in light of his victory, we live in that. We can live in the victory that Christ has won for us. We now go forth robed in the armor of God, fighting spiritual battles day to day, but totally aware of the fact that we have that victory, that Jesus has won. He has won that victory for us. And he did so by achieving it on the cross, paying for our sins in full. He died for us. He rose and he has ascended at the right hand of the Father. He is our warrior king, the Almighty, the Lord Almighty. And because of all that he has done for us, we can look look back to verse 5 and 6 of the psalm. And we are those people who receive blessing from the Lord. We receive vindication, vindication from our Savior. This is the generation who seek them because we can seek him by the spirit of God at work in our lives, helping us draw close to the Lord. We can seek the face of the Lord Jesus because he has won the victory for us. We come before him mindful of our fallenness, but mindful of the victory that he has achieved for us. As we look forward to that day, to that final day, when we will be before the King of glory, the Lord Almighty, when we will see Jesus face to face in the city, the new city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem in heaven. And therefore we can lift up our heads with praise and adoration as we look forward to that day with great hope. 